The reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. The escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The return to Nazareth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. Start by saying I'm so glad that was the reading. Because <laughs> I just had a moment where I thought we were doing Three Kings. But anyway, <clears throat> I will begin with an opening prayer. Anoint me now, Lord, that I may deliver your message faithfully and fruitfully. Let your word pass from ear to heart and from heart to life, so that it accomplishes the purpose for which it is given. Amen. Amen. So today's reading provides a rather swift transition from the tenderness and the sentimentality of Christmas and it might be tempting to keep this message at bay as we stick with carols and maybe polishing off the quality street just a little bit longer. However, 
we do need to recognise that this story, for all the horror at its centre, is still a message of hope. When we sing praise to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we're praising a God who is not remote, but who is with us in the realities of life. And the first point I'd like to make is that Jesus is our saviour. By including this episode, Matthew wants to draw out parallels between Jesus and Moses. So remember, Moses was chosen by God to lead his people out of Egypt, to liberate them, to save them. Bad Herod and bad Pharaoh both ordered babies to be murdered due to their own paranoia. Moses and Jesus were both kept safe so that they could go on to save their people. Matthew's making the connection to highlight Jesus is rescuing his people. Jesus is a saviour who is first saved. And Matthew's also keen to show that um, scripture's been fulfilled. So on top of these allusions to Exodus, he quotes the prophets Jeremiah and Hosea. They brought God's word at a time when God's people were about to go into exile. The place was falling apart. Matthew wants us to know that even in a messed up world, the promises of God are trustworthy. Our God saves God didn't want his rescue plan to be thwarted by Herod, so he warned Joseph to take his family to safety in Egypt. Imagine that. They need to leave now, right now, in the night. They've got to scoop up their meagre belongings and set off. Travelling at night was a really dangerous thing to do, but it was less dangerous than staying. I wonder if you can picture it in a modern setting. Think of all of those people leaving Ukraine last year, taking what they could carry with them. Now, Bethlehem is about um, 150 miles from the border with Egypt, so it would have taken easily a week to get there. And even then, they would have to continue further into Egypt to find a community to take them in. I wonder what welcome they had. Maybe they were lucky and they made for Alexandria, where it's known there was a large Jewish community. But imagine travelling in fear, weary, moving further away each day from any sense of normality. Jesus comes into the world as it really is, in all its brokenness. That's what our story tells us. Now, I don't know if you remember, but at the birth of Jesus, um, Luke tells us, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I think on the journey, she was probably doing that, pondering the treasures that she'd stored up, pondering them, going back over the promises the angel had made, the way the shepherds and the kings had adored Jesus. I wonder whether she was able to draw strength from remembering the promises of God. Although she 
Couldn't have thought this was what she was expecting to happen when she had a baby. She could put her trust in God. And she had the support of Joseph. Joseph is a model of trust. He's obedient to God in frightening situations. And he only gets one bit of information at a time. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's not like this one big dream that reveals the overall plan to him. He gets four. Marry Mary, go to Egypt, leave Egypt, don't go to Judea, go to Nazareth. So he's flying blind a lot of the time. And isn't that true for us? We rarely see the fullness of God's plans for our lives any better than Joseph could. In our own lives, when we're facing adversity and it isn't easy to see where God wants us to go, or maybe we can see the where, but we don't understand the why, then it is good to trust, to go back over God's promises. Now, that might mean um, reading the Bible. It might mean going back through your journals and um, looking at gifts that God's given you or sentences that you've written down in the past, if that is a spiritual discipline that you follow. Or it might mean finding support and talking it through with your church family. As our story told us, Joseph, Mary and Jesus go to safety, but meanwhile... Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Now, there's little historical record of that massacre, but it's completely consistent with Herod's style. He was an evil, paranoid megalomaniac. It was his usual MO to indiscriminately murder This is a man who had his in-laws, his wife, and three of his sons killed. But we should be wary of making Herod into a pantomime villain. He didn't act alone. He was well-respected by many at the time who benefited from his collusion with the occupying Romans and the economic wealth that he generated. He was the figurehead of a corrupt system. And that makes the story pertinent today because it holds a mirror up to the forces current in our society. Okay, we've got Putin as a pantomime villain, but there's plenty else that's wrong in the world. Matthew is emphasising that from the first, God's rescue plan will face pushback from those who want to maintain the status quo. Those with earthly power want to hold on to the status quo. That was true for Herod, and it's true today. Resistance to justice and righteousness exists throughout history and now. So going back to um, the massacre, we don't know how many died. Some commentators suggest that the population of Bethlehem was around 1,000, and so only 20 babies died. Only 20. I can't imagine anyone saying, for example, at the Manchester Arena in 2017, only 22 people were murdered by a terrorist. How many died isn't important, is it? 
And maybe by now you're feeling uncomfortable. I know I am. Why did God let those innocent babies die and just save Jesus? The question of why God lets good people suffer is a real chestnut. And it can be a stumbling block, let's face it. Sometimes people suffer because they make foolish choices. Sometimes it's a tragic accident or a natural disaster. But sometimes it can be hard to see the reason beyond the fact that we live in a broken world. It is not what God wants for us. There's enough teaching on the kingdom of God for us to know that God cares for the poorest and the most vulnerable. He cares for us all. The Bible is full of teaching that shows that the taking of life is wrong. So we are right to be appalled at suffering and cruelty. The attitude to that loss of life in the story is there in the passage. We weep. I hope we weep. And we should remember that God weeps with us. When we encounter troubles, we can lament, cry out to God, because he's compassionate, he hears us. And remember that Jesus did die at the hands of a brutal regime. His own death was the slaughter of the innocent. In his prime, Jesus was crucified, executed on trumped-up charges, fabricated by Jewish leaders and the state, even though he was completely without sin. I say again, our God is compassionate. Jesus was a refugee forced to flee persecution. He knew what it was like to be an outsider, the other, in his earliest childhood. And in his ministry, he showed compassion to those who were other, the outcasts, the old, the weak, those with physical and mental handicaps. So knowing that, what are we called to do? I think that we need to confess any part that we might play in colluding in the suffering of the vulnerable. We are part of a system that perpetuates inequality and injustice around the world. We need to confess our complicity and make better decisions about things like where we invest our money, what we buy, what our carbon footprint is, you know, the list goes on. We need to pray for an end to conflicts and poverty and other causes of migration. We need to pray for the 70 million people who are displaced from their homes in this world. And, there's always three things. Thirdly, we need to offer practical help. Sometimes that might mean financial help, but it's also the small things like offering lifts, sitting down, being a listening ear. Jesus was born into a fallen world in all its brokenness, and because of that, he understands our suffering and is with us when we suffer. In the kingdom of God, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, because of the cross. Death is defeated. 
But we live in the in-between times where the kingdom of God has not yet fully arrived. Even so, God is our refuge and our strength. God is compassionate. Our response when we suffer is to know that he is with us and to rely on his promises. Our response when we see the suffering of others is to show that same compassion and be God's hands in the world. I know it's a cliche, but we are called to be the change we want to see. Don't let's fall into cynicism. Hold on to those Christmas messages of peace, joy, hope, and love. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, you lived and died as a man who knew sorrow and suffering. Help us to repent of anything that has contributed to the suffering of others. Give us the spirit of compassion for those who suffer and the spirit of courage to fight against injustice. For the glory of the Father. Amen.